It's great to be back in the saddle, preaching again. Here, we had a great time last week with my mentor, Chris Mueller, preaching from God's Word. And, and this week, we're back in the book of Ephesians. So, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, and I cannot forget, the wonderful Robins are back there. First through third graders, you are dismissed. And you can follow Mr. and Mrs. Robbins right there to your classroom. Thank you for the reminder. The blue shirts really gave it away. Oh, I want to give a special thanks. I had such a good time yesterday at the church picnic. I hope all of you that attended also had a good time. I want to give a special thank you to those that went just, everybody pitches in at a summit event, but there are those who went above and beyond in service, and I just want to publicly thank them. Chris and Keith Ricker, uh, Sarah and Jimmy Wilson, David Urias, James and Catherine Rosa, Robert Medina, and of course, uh, Bill and Ramona Stevens. Would you just thank them for putting together that event? I'm so thankful. It was a great time together. So again, if you have a Bible in front of you, I hope you do. If you don't, there are Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. Would you open to the book of Ephesians? And we are in the last chapter now, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Well, maybe you've heard the Latin phrase... Divide et impera. What does it mean? Divide and rule. This infamous war strategy was employed by the great war generals and empires from Joshua of Israel to Caesar of Rome and Napoleon of Greece, or sorry, France, not Greece. From Israel to Rome to France, if you can divide, this is the idea, if you can divide the enemy, Against itself, you weaken their force and you increase your influence. It's the way to conquer a nation. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, said himself that a house divided against itself cannot stand. I want you to know, friends, that Satan, the enemy, is a seasoned war general. The devil knows how to divide and conquer. He knows where to attack a nation, to tear it down, to tear down a society. And let me tell you, he doesn't start in the House of Representatives. The devil, the enemy, doesn't start with the political rulers. The enemy starts, and he knows that if he can divide the home, he can take down an entire nation. He attacks the household. Show me a degrading society and I will show you a high corresponding divorce rate. I will show you a high number of abortions. I will show you a high number of absent fathers, a high number of single parent households, a high number of unruly and undisciplined children. These are signs and markers, just the beginning of the degradation of society. And Satan has captured our culture and our society by dividing the family in these different ways. We've seen it all around us. Those statistics are markers of our nation. He is, after all, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of this world. But, 
There is a society, there is a people that he cannot have. Satan can have culture, but he cannot have the church. Amen? And so those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ, members of the household of God, we display, we put on display a different kind of family. We prioritize and do things God's way, not the world's way. We serve a different king. We have a different order. We possess an extraordinary power by the Holy Spirit. And we can exhibit a not-of-this-world family, a family that is not influenced or divided by the culture, but a family that stands strong and is unified under Jesus Christ. We exhibit that as we, as brothers and sisters from different mothers and fathers, come together in the church. And in a healthy church, there is a healthy family unit that make up, makes up the church and a family that does things God's way. And so we see from Ephesians 5, we started there, that the countercultural, spirit-filled, not-of-this-world family, I know it's a mouthful, we have a wife that submits willingly to her husband's leadership. We saw that in Ephesians 5, verse 22. She does it as unto the Lord. We see a husband who loves his wife sacrificially, as Christ sacrificially loved his bride, the church. A healthy home starts with a healthy marriage. It starts with a husband and wife that love each other and mutually submit to one another with different roles. But the next two subjects that we come to in this countercultural, spirit-filled, not-of-this-world family unit are the children and, of course, the fathers. The kids and the fathers. Or parenting. Also, So these are the two subjects we're going to look at in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We're going to do things God's way and not culture's way or the world's way. And you might be thinking to yourself, Morgan, I am no longer a child and not yet a father. Well, there are principles here that can prepare you for fatherhood, Lord willing, that's in your future. And principles of discipleship that we can all learn and apply together. You say, Morgan, I'm no longer a child and my parent day, parenting days are long gone. <laughs> I'm a grandpa or a grandma. I've got a verse for you today. There's a verse for grandma and grandpas that we're going to talk about. But there's also ways to encourage everyone to come alongside our fathers and our mothers, our parents, as we seek to raise children God's way. And I just want to address the fact that many of you come from broken homes. Many of you come out and have a history of homes that, let's just say, did not reflect the biblical home that we're about to describe. Maybe they were difficult family experiences, to say the least. And I want you to know, that if you're a child of God, you understand that God works all things together for good for those who love him, and that includes those difficult past family experiences. God has redeemed you. Amen? And, and he can save you from a lot of that hurt and guilt through the life and blood of Jesus Christ. And listen, if your family didn't start God's way, you have an opportunity now, brother and sister in Christ, to not change your past, but change your future and do things God's way. 
in the circumstances that you're in right now. God can redeem, redeem your life, redeem your future, and can do beautiful and wonderful things through you as you're faithful to fulfill the roles that you are in right now. So let's look at God's family unit here, and let's look at the children and then the parents. Before we go any further, let me pray, and we'll look at God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of design that you've given us. You've given us such a clear blueprint of what it looks like to have a godly home. Lord, and we've messed up. People before us have messed up. Some fathers and mothers in this room, even who are not in this room, have messed up, God. But we have an opportunity now to come under your word and do things your way. We have an opportunity, Lord, to reflect the divine love and mutual submission of the Trinity in our families. We have an opportunity, Lord, to invest into the next generation, to instruct them in the ways of you, and to leave, Lord, a godly legacy for our children to follow in. I pray that we would do that, Lord. Help us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians 6.1, look at that verse there. The first subject is children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is right. What does it mean to obey? Obey, that word, simply means to listen under. To listen under. There's an implication there. The implication is that you are under another's authority. So what we see from the very beginning is that this natural order in the family, kids don't run the home but they are under the authority of their parents. And so they're called to listen and obey their parents. The parents are, have been given God-given authority. We know from Romans 13:1, there's no authority except from God. Even rulers, governors, have been given an authority by God, and so have parents. So children... The, apparent, the authority that your parents have over you has been given to them by God. That's significant. It's not just mom and dad's way, but this is the Lord's way. And the parents have a responsibility to exercise that authority well. We'll get to the parents in a minute. But your responsibility, children, is to obey your parents. As if you were listening to the command from the Lord Jesus himself. Don't miss that little important phrase, kids. Look right there in the text. Obey your parents in the Lord. That's significant. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is God's design. It's his natural order. It is right, he says in the text. It's right. It pleases him when children function according to their design, as well as wives and fathers and husbands. And there's only one exception to this, kids. The one exception of obeying your parents, you know what it is? If your parents ask you to do something that is contrary to Scripture. In that case, and in that case only, Acts chapter 5 is clear, you obey God rather than men. But hold on, I know what you're going to do. You're going to go home and try to find that thing that mom or dad is asking you. Well, God doesn't say pick up the dog poop, mom. God doesn't say scrub the grout in the 
bathroom or whatever your chores are, that's not the attitude that kids should have. The attitude is that of respect and honor and obedience. They come under the rule of their parents. It, and it is, it is, by the way, the case where they ask you to do something that God commands you not to do. You're not going to find a negative command. Don't tell, your parent, don't tell your kids to pick up the dog dung in the Bible. And so you obey and you come under their authority with respect and honor. If not with the attitude of trying to find ways that they're doing their parenting wrong, you fulfill your role and you obey and you honor them. And even if there was a case where your parents did ask you to do something contrary to Scripture, which in most cases they will not, very rarely, I've never seen that happen <laughs> in my years of youth ministry, you approach it very carefully with honor and respect because the Lord has placed them over you. I have even encouraged youth who have come through my youth ministry, my 10 years of youth ministry, that even if their parents are unbelievers, you can win them over just like the submissive wife can, her husband, without a word by your obedience and honor of them. I can recount testimony after testimony, dozens even, of kids being invited to the youth group. They get saved at the church. Their parents are non-believers. And those children, by knowing Christ and exemplifying obedience in the home, they end up winning their unbelieving parents. I've seen it happen time and time again. So kids, do not underestimate the power of your witness to the outside world as you obey mom and dad, even though your friends may not. And parents, understand this. Your authority is a stewardship from God. Not to abuse, not to neglect, but to exercise in a godly manner. Remember, parents, that when you talk with your disobedient child, there are three parties involved, always. The disobedient child, the grieved parent, and a grieved God. Do not leave God out of your instruction. Do not leave the Lord out of disobedience or obedience. Remind them that they ought to obey, not just because mom or dad say, but because God says it is right and it pleases the Lord. And obviously, when children disobey their parents, it's not just sin against mom and dad, it is sin against holy God. And sin is not just breaking the rules. Parents, we have to remind our kids of this. It's not just breaking mom and dad's rules or even God's rules, but it is breaking his rules and his heart. That there are consequences to sin and it is a broken relationship. And of course, after that conversation, you point your kids to the only solution for broken relationships. It is Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. And so, as you're instructing and helping your kids to obey, make it more than a rule-breaking rule issue. But take it to the gospel. Make it a relationship issue. And there's always, again, three parties involved. The child, the parents, and the Lord. Don't leave the Lord out of your instruction, parents. But children are called to obey because it is right it is right. This is the way God designed it. Secondly, children are, are called to honor because it is life. It's life. 
Spanish conquistador, Ponce de Leon. He searched tirelessly for the fountain of youth. Supposedly, this stream of water could renew life, make the old young again. It was an ancient Mayan myth. Hey, no need to look for it any further. The fountain of youth is right here in Ephesians 6.2. Read it for yourself. Here it is. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you. And that you may, look at this, live long in the land. This is obviously a, a direct quote from the fifth commandment. Exodus chapter 20 verse 12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. When I preached this topic to the youth, we would talk about honoring mom and dad a lot. I used to tell them, your relationship with your parents now directly affects your future. It does. Your relationship with your parents now directly affects your future. If you dishonor now, you will reap consequences later. If you honor now, you will reap great benefits later. This principle is all over the Proverbs. Look at Proverbs 1, 8, and 9. I believe I have it up there. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 6, 20. My son, keep your father's commandment. Forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of what? Life. Proverbs 23. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now kids, this is not saying that everybody who dies young must have disobeyed their parents. Don't let your parents threaten you that way, okay? <laughs> and, you know, obeying your parents is not the, the silver bullet to 105, okay? It's not what this is saying. But the principle is true. These are wisdom principles from the Proverbs and here from this commandment. That when children obey their parents in the Lord, they will often escape a good deal of sin and danger and thus avoid the consequences that threaten or shorten lives. We've seen this to be true. Don't talk to strangers. What does that help you for? It helps you, huh, she knows. She's like, I know. Helps you from, right, being kidnapped and, and bad things happen. Don't cross the street without holding your parents' hands. That, that's helpful. That can lengthen your life, literally, right? Those are pra practical wisdom. It is true, kids, you obey your parents, and it, and it affects the, not only the quantity of your life, but also the quality. See, Paul sets both before the child in this passage. He says, obey your parents and honor them, not only that you may live long, but honor your parents so that it may go well with you. There's a quality of life that an obedient child is enriched by. One commentator writes it this way. God enriches the life of the obedient child, no matter how long he may live on the earth. Sin always robs us. Obedience always enriches us. 
parents, we ought to talk with our children not only about the consequences of disobedience, but of the benefits and joys of obedience. How often do we just lay the consequences before them without talking about the joy and benefit of obeying? Parents, make sure that we're presenting both the negative and positive motivation to obey. That obedience, again, is not just keeping the rules, mom and dad's rules, but it is doing things God's way. And there is great joy and blessing when we do things God's way. In kids, children, one final exhortation here. Who wants to live a long and full life? Me, yes. How's your relationship with your parents? Are you obeying and honoring them? There is a pretty severe warning we see in 2 Timothy 3. Paul says this, Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. But judgment's coming. It's going to be hard. And look at what kind of sins incur judgment. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, and disobedient to parents. Well, how did that get in there? Disobedience to parents is a sin, and there are great consequences to it. Romans 1 describes this society, this degrading culture, and Paul says of this culture, he says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents. Wow, how does God view this sin? He puts it right in there with murderers slanderers, and the rest. Children, you have to see that disobedience is, doesn't just have temporary consequences, but eternal ones. It is a grievous sin against God. And so obey and honor that it will go well with you. Disobey and dishonor. And you can be sure that it will not. It will not. So children, obey and honor your parents, for it is right and it is life. Okay, fathers. Fathers. The next subject of our passage. It says in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Whose responsibility is it? Ultimately, for the discipleship of the children. Who does Paul address? Fathers. Interesting. Fathers. It is the father's responsibility for the discipleship of the children. Now, this is not to say that mothers don't disciple their children either. It's not to neglect them or count them out. It doesn't diminish the faithful teaching of mothers. I, I, I want you to know that I was raised with Christian values and, and a knowledge of God's word and a knowledge of the gospel, not because of my father, but because of my mother. I, like Timothy, had a godly mother who loved the Lord. I, I 
my father doesn't know Christ. So he didn't teach me in the ways of God. But my mother did. And she was faithful too. And so I'm not diminishing the value of a faithful and a godly mother. For a lot of kids, that's all they have. And praise God that God has given them one parent, at least a mother who's faithful to God and teaches them the ways of God. I'm thankful for that. But in God's ideal family structure, he does not put the discipleship on the shoulders of the mother. He puts the discipleship on the shoulders of the father. Fathers, this is your responsibility. You make sure, if you are a father, that your children are taught the things of God. You make sure as a father that your children are raised with a biblical worldview. You make sure as a father that your children learn the scriptures. It doesn't ultimately rest on homeschool mom. It doesn't ultimately rest on the children's Christian school or the Sunday school teacher. It's your responsibility, fathers. And it's a responsibility that you should not take lightly. So Paul addresses the fathers. He says first, do not provoke. Do not provoke. You see that in the text. Says, do not provoke your children to anger. This is literally to ignite the fuse. Don't ignite their fuse and cause them to sin in their response. There are many ways that we can do this, fathers, and it's appropriate that Paul instructs us not to because us as dad, don't we like to push their buttons? Well, we shouldn't, Paul says. There are a variety of ways that you can ignite anger in the heart of your child. Let me just give you a few examples. Obviously, I, I named the first. You push their buttons. You know what stirs them up, what causes them to be upset, what causes them to cry out, to lash out. Do not do that. Another way to ignite anger in the heart of your child is to make an empty threat. Well, if you do blank, then I'm going to blank. But you never follow through with it. That exasperates the child. Of course, abuse or use of excessive force, that will stir up your child to anger. And that is not the way of godly discipline. It's punishment without love or punishment without self-control. Do not exasperate your child that way. Or to discipline without instruction. If your child doesn't know why they're being disciplined, then it is not discipline. It is exasperation. Or another way to make your child upset, to ignite anger in their heart, is to be a hypocrite. To expect a standard from them that you yourself do not keep. And they see right through that. The kids watch. And they know when you're asking them to do something that you yourself are unwilling to do. There are many ways to exasperate a child. And this is, fathers, an abuse of God-given authority. This is not the way we are to bring them up. We need to heed the warning of Christ. When he was holding a child in his hands in Matthew 18, he says this, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Wow. Let's heed that warning, fathers, and not cause or tempt our children to sin in that way. So do not provoke, but the contrast is given here. Look at this in the text. 
The verb is bring them up. Do you see that? Ephesians 6, 4. But, that's a strong contrast there, bring them up. This is such an opposite of tearing down. It doesn't say this, fathers. It doesn't say tear down your kids with the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Tear them down with the fear of God. No. The verb literally means to nurture. To nurture and to provide and to bring up. Wow, what a contrast. What a contrast. This, this idea is not to make the child feel stupid or to publicly shame them or to diminish their spirit but it is for their growth and for their progress to nurture them. This is the heart of Christian parenting. It's to bring them up God's way, not our own. So you nurture them in two ways. We see that in this passage. Two ways. You bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. These two words have very similar meanings. They're educational words. Both refer to different aspects of training or development. If there is any nuance, we see that the word discipline could refer more to the activity of education or the exercise of it, the practice. And instruction refers more to the verbal aspect of education, the lecture. And both are required, parents. See, both are used to bring up your child. You need to not only tell them what to do, but we need to show them. That's good discipleship. Isn't that what the Lord Jesus did with his disciples? He didn't just bark orders from a couch. The Lord walked with them and showed them by his life what it means to be a follower of God. You got to understand this too, parents, is that parenting is synonymous for discipleship. The goal for your kids is not to make them just upstanding citizens, but it is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. Parenting is a call to discipleship. Me and my wife are about to have our third child. And I understand that my job as a father, well, yes, is to keep the child alive as a baseline. But my responsibility as a father of this new child, this new little boy, is not just to help him survive to 18. And out of the house, you're on your own. My goal as a godly father is to bring him up in the fear, the discipline, and instruction of God. That they would fear God. That he would know God and walk in his ways. So I have a call to disciple my children. Both by showing them and telling them. I, I have a picture, I think, of a, of a golf, golf instructor. I think this is a helpful visual of what it might look like, fathers. Both telling and showing are a part of life education. It's not enough for the golf coach to tell the boy, hey, go out and swing the golf club like this. Read these instructions on a piece of paper or hear my voice and then go out and do it. But what does the golf instructor do? Takes the boy out to the range. Helps him practice his swing. He may even use tools to correct the boy. He'll he'll show him. He'll grab the club and help him swing correctly. Both are Involved. This is what God has in mind for the fathers of Israel when he was telling them to bring up their children before they enter the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy 6. I have this passage up there. This is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, 
The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And then shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. This is life-on-life discipleship. Parenting is life-on-life. Again, it's not barking orders from a couch. Your kids are always watching and listening. They want you to tell them and show them what to do. And so you come up gently and with a spirit of wanting to build them up and nourish them and correct them sometimes. And you also offer instruction. And then you show them by your walk in life what it means to know God and follow His way. Christian father and mother, you're Parenting is a stewardship from heaven. Your goal is by your life and words to show them who he is and what he says. You know, often your, your earthly father or your parents can influence and shape how, you, how the child views the heavenly father. Because it is a stewardship and you as an earthly father show your kids what the heavenly father is like. How many children will show up one day and say, well, I thought God was an unmerciful tyrant because that's what dad showed me. Or I thought God was a permissive pushover because that's what mom taught me. Or I thought God was unimportant. I thought he was distant. I thought he was aloof, unsympathetic, calloused, indifferent, heartless, because that's the kind of relationship that my parents had with God and with each other and with us. Like me, you probably lean one of two ways on the parenting spectrum. On the one hand, some of us are all justice and no mercy. Consider how you're showing your child who God is in that. We need to reflect more of God's gentleness, his patience, his mercy, and his grace. On the other hand, some of us are all mercy and no justice. Consider what you're teaching your kids about God in that scenario. Maybe you need to reflect more of God's righteousness, his justice, his holiness. God by no means lets the guilty go unpunished. We want to point our children to God, not away from Him, by our parenting. Fathers, more important than your boys knowing how to change a tire or change oil is that they know how to walk with God. More important than teaching your daughters how to talk to boys is teaching them how to talk to God. How much time in comparison to sports, school, work, do you spend talking and showing your kids about these things, God's things? told you I'd have a, a verse for grandparents. They're not let off the hook. Look at Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Um, you know, I, I saw a helpful illustration from a pastor that I think would, would help us when he was talking about leaving a legacy for your children. He brought up a chain, a linked chain. 
Now, there's a start and an end to this chain here. The start is here. You know, you may not have been the first person in your family who came to know Christ. You may be the grandson or the granddaughter of a believer. And that first person, you know, started the chain, the legacy of faith in your family. And by God's grace, maybe you're here. Maybe you're here for some of us. We're up here. We're the first person in our family to know Christ, or at least that we know of. And then we have an opportunity. We have a responsibility to be a faithful link. God builds the chain, right? God saves people. God ordains and in his providence ordains who comes to faith first in the family and and where you're at in this chain. But your responsibility is just to be a strong link. To be one strong link from, from this to the next. And the way that we be a strong link, a faithful link in God's legacy chain, because it's all for his glory, it's all to point to him ultimately, is just by being faithful to pass the baton. And what is this baton that we're passing? What is this treasure that we're taking from our parents to the next? Let me just tell you, it's not a multi-million dollar life insurance policy. It's not the family estate. The greatest treasure that we pass down to our children is a story. And the story in our legacy chain is not about us. It's not grandpa's war stories. It's not dad's glory days. It's not mom's recipe. The greatest treasure, the story we pass down to our children is of God and the way of salvation. That's what Moses told Israel to tell their children when they go into the promised land. Tell them about God and how he saved you from and out of Egypt. For us, the story of God and the way of salvation that we know on this side of the cross is of Jesus Christ. If there's anything great about mom or dad or grandpa and grandpa, it's simply this, that they served a great God and they told me and showed me his gospel by their life and their words. This is how to be an effective link in the legacy chain. Be faithful to God and his gospel and tell your children of that good news. Just be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord by your words and by your life. A faithful discipler of your children. Let me just tell you about an ineffective legacy. We see an example of this in the scripture. Someone who did not pass the baton or it was not received. We know that from Deuteronomy, God told the people of Israel, hey, Teach this to your children and your children's children that they may not lose their way. Well, Joshua, you remember, took the people into the promised land. And he got the same command from Yahweh. And look at this very sad and pitiful passage of Scripture. It's in Judges 2. Just listen to this. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And then Joshua died at the age of 110, and they buried him. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And then, verse 10, there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. One generation. And they did what was evil on the side of the Lord, and they served idols. It just takes one, one generation to break the legacy chain. May that not be our children or our children's children.
May our children know God and the work he has done for us. May our children grow to know and hear from our mouths and to see by our lives that God is holy, that he is set apart and perfect, that we are sinners. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There are consequences for sin. God is a God who will by no means lead the guilty to go unpunished, but God loved us so much that he gave his only son to die in our place. Jesus took our punishment so that we wouldn't have to. He died and rose again from the dead to give us a new life and a new heart to want to follow him. So mommy and daddy love Jesus. We want to obey him because he first loved us. And we want to teach you about Jesus too. And we want to discipline and instruct you in the ways that God has commanded us to do so that you would know and follow him. That's Christian parenting. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, there are a variety of methods and means in parenting, different approaches, practical things that we could have talked about today. Lord, but it is so important for us to not lose the content or the goal of our parenting, which is that our children would know God and follow in his ways. God, we can't save them. We can't change their hearts. But we can just be a faithful link in the chain. We can be faithful to tell them and show them by your power and by your strength what it means to know you and follow you with our lives. Help us to be godly parents. Help us to have the right priorities in mind as we parent our kids. To not be consumed with lesser things, earthly things. But to be concerned about the most important things. That they would know Christ and follow him. Help us to be faithful in that, Lord. In Jesus' name.